What's up, Archons, and welcome to Discourse, your source for the most deranged, pastoral, and discreet Keyforge news and discussions on the internet. I'm Joe. And I'm Angelo. And on today's episode, we'll be taking you through the latest news and the cards revealed from Age of Ascension. And we'll be giving you our guide to Keyforge organized play and what you need to know to get involved with it. Let's do this. made it to episode two episode one <laughs> now it's episode two. Oh, but it, oh shit it yeah. is episode two <laughs> crap okay i could count we haven't fallen apart yet um yeah but, that's pretty exciting yeah. um i'm pretty i'm pretty happy about getting all this content out there getting getting feedback yeah talking to the people yeah it's definitely been uh more of a challenge than i initially thought but totally worth it yeah so let's do a kind of weekly rundown of what's been going on with us. I haven't really been up to too much Keyforge-wise, but I know, Joe, you've you've been doing a little Keyforging. I've been doing a bit of Keyforging, yeah. So I've probably spent less time this week in the uh, training zone uh, uh, of Crucible. Crucible Online. Yeah, Crucible Online, um, which is great, uh, usually. Uh, but I was able to make it out to a tournament on Monday. And, right, to our local. Yeah, to a I local tournament, to uh, Chainbound. So the first Chainbound that we went to together, I used one of your decks because yes, uh, Console O Creocraft, which uh, we'll link. Uh, which Epic I, Quest. Yeah, I love that one because it has Epic Quest. Um, I still really like that deck. Like, I yeah. think it's a good deck. It's great. We I don't think we've gotten enough we've cracked it right yeah not yet quite yet for anyone who doesn't know epic quest and i think we mentioned it last cast uh it's an artifact from sanctum house and when you play it it allows you to archive all friendly knights in play and then those will be in your archives and then on a subsequent turn it has an omni right yeah is it omni yeah Uh, so when you play it um, the play effect is that you archive all the knights, and then a subsequent turn, uh, it's Omni. Uh, not that that really matters because yes, essentially yeah. <laughs> you need to play it on a Sanctum turn. Yes, but uh, unless you, you can... have seven phase shifts, yeah, unless you have seven <laughs> phase shifts. So we're still waiting for that deck to surface with seven phase shifts. Um, but you are able to sacrifice Epic Quest, and I guess you know your knights have gone on an Epic Quest, yep. and if you've played seven or more sanctum cards that turn then you get to forge a key at no cost at no cost that's insane so it's amazing um so uh, the goal there is you you want to archive your knights yeah take them out of play they go on an epic quest and then when you you know have enough cards in your hand uh plus the ones in your archives you take them back on that turn Right. play it and uh and you've done an epic quest and that's so is that what you played at the tournament that's what i played no that's what i played at the first tournament oh, okay. and that's why i loved that that's why i love that one uh and i hadn't really kind of acquired a deck that i wanted to kind of take to into play, tournament yeah. okay but you know now, last cast yeah we mentioned smithison yeah uh you found it york chapel's forest keeper and you know you know i have a soft spot for anyone who's environmental causes environmentally friendly yeah, yeah exactly you know it's a big it's a big problem right now one earth yeah one <laughs> earth um so uh so yeah we I, I took that bad boy for a spin 
and how to go first, uh and i won that's amazing man yeah Congrats. i'm really excited uh tournaments make me super nervous yeah uh, it was me too. Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was it was pretty chill. It's pretty relaxed. You know, it's still quite snowy here. Yeah, in Toronto, in Canada, in, in Canada in this general. Is what happens? It's we're snowing. looking out the window yeah, right now, and super it's just snowy. like yeah. All... Uh, but it's adding a nice like white hue to uh, our cast. Yeah. Um. So there was about there was only four oh five people. Uh, and so I, you know, I don't want to demean my, my win by any means, but I got a buy hey in the first wins, round. Wins a win. Yeah. Yeah. Buy a can't. Wins a win. Wins a win. Wins a win. Wins a win. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I had a really great two games. Uh, it was really close on the first one. So the, the deck of, uh, the person I played, uh, I f- wish I had taken it down, but that's, all good. that's fine. It, that the deck, my opponent's deck on, in my first game, so I, three in total, one by, so two in total, really. Uh, the My first opponent had a super fast deck. And okay. I, when I say fast, I mean Ember Generation. You mean Vin Diesel. That's right. Fast and Furious, yeah. exactly. Uh, so that deck had Nos, yeah. and it was, you know, Paul Walker style. Did it blow too early, too though? Too early, yeah, yeah oh, exactly. I hate it when that happens. Yeah, recipes, Paul Walker. Gotta hold it, man. Yeah, you gotta hold it. That's like classic. He wasn't watching. No, I'm kidding. But the i've i generally feel in control with uh smithison when i'm playing with it and it my opponent was able to forge a key like turn two or three. Oh wow like super quick. quick i'm like oh my gosh this is gonna happen quickly so if i can't set up here it's it's gonna be runaway bride yeah on on these keys essentially yeah. <laughs> and uh i was kind of able to shift it back had some really great uh uh, I was holding a bait and switch for really for a really long time. Okay, yeah, which is uh, uh, you that's know, I feel necessary. like that's becoming your signature. Yeah, it's my signature. No, yeah. it is for this bait deck. and hold, bait and hold exactly. <laughs> and then then I don't actually play it the whole game. Yeah, um, which I'll get to. But so there is that there was a quick deficit. It was pretty scary. And then there was a we were both at two keys, and uh, I was pretty much going to win that turn. Okay, if he didn't stop me. And in my deck, there's also a fair game so a fair mm. game uh, I, I don't remember if we mentioned it before classic but this house yeah classic dis so it's a dis uh play action card uh when you play it you yeah i think we have gone over this but you reveal the the top, top card, card of your opponent's deck you discard it and you gain ember uh for every card in your opponent's hand that matches the house of the card that was discarded right and then and then they do and that they to repeat you. the effect to you yeah so there could be a pretty big swing of ember there. Yeah. And so... So is that what ended up happening? So what happened was uh, I had... Yeah, I was going to win if he didn't stop me. And he played Untamed and he played Mimicry. Mm. And mimicked your... He mimicked the affair game. And I'm like, wow, wow why would that... Like, that's, that's a, a really big play. risk. Yeah, exactly. Um, this yeah. was Paul Walker. Yeah, this, this was Paul Walker. <laughs> yeah. Paul, oh my gosh pretty sure his name was paul was it yeah wow that's awesome maybe the reincarnation man real yeah. paul rest in peace it's man. very possible yeah um if you believe in reincarnation it's very yeah. possible so he played a fair game and uh the the top card was uh was a dis card so i had one in my hand okay and i had five mars cards 
And if if that so card, if that was, top Mars, card was Mars, he had key charge in his hand. So you were done. So I would have been toasties. done. Yeah. And so and no, so I won. Like he he what was he the did get the luck. Um, oh, I forget what the top card was, but but he gained one amber when he needed like three more, okay. and he could have key charged on okay. that turn. Yeah. Uh, so there was like a, it was a fifty fifty on yeah. that one. So I did not win handily, and it really came down to luck there. Yeah, but given the context of uh, him having key charge in hand, I, I totally understand why he would go for that play. Yeah, because right? that if was he the could fastest get, way he, he could do that. Could secure the amber. That's a win, yeah. guaranteed win. Yeah, it, it was. It was yeah, wow. pretty much. 50-50. That sounds like an amazing, amazingly close finish. Yeah, you know? that's like a photo finish. Yeah, I would have been happy to lose to that, to be right. honest. Yeah. Because you that can't would be mad a cool at that. Play. No, I can't exactly. But uh, clearly, the the disc gods have smiled upon you yep. that day. Yes. Probably because of all the praising we've been doing. Yeah, exactly. Hashtag disking. The, the sacrifices. Yeah, all the sacrificial <laughs> altars, all the yeah. annihilation rituals. Yeah. Everything. So the soul stealing. That's pretty sick, man. So, yeah. So that was my first game. And, uh, you know, not to not to drag too much uh, on the table talk, but my second game, uh, it was a really uh, close, close game uh, for the most part. But it came down to just, you know, better draws um, and solid play. Okay. Uh, the the deck that I was facing up against um, was similar to mine in that it had uh, some kind of wacky Mars cards going on there, a bit of grabber jammer type stuff, um, and I got some really cool plays. I mean, a notable play was that I got Custom Virus off mm-hmm. from Mars, which I love activating Custom Virus. It's an artifact that you play, and then you can sacrifice it, and, and it's Omni, and... If you uh, if you sacrifice it, you purge a creature from your hand, and you destroy all creatures that have matching um, um, traits. Traits, or type. yeah, yeah, types. So it's a super cool card. It's a super cool card. Yeah, and I have some really interesting flexibility in my deck. Uh, he had two uh, Mars Ixalix Dominators, which is the yeah. nine power one armor. Uh, comes that comes in, in stunned, stun. yeah, but those are really hard to get rid of if yeah. you don't have anything, and they have taunt, which makes them a problem. And so I custom virus and purged my my grabber jammer to wow. get rid of both of both of his dominators. Yeah. So it just like removes board control entirely if something like that's happening, and you, yeah. you have good luck there. Uh, he had a horseman in his deck, um, and essentially uh, it was just it was it wasn't domination, but I felt in control the whole time. Did the horseman come in to play at all? I'm curious about that because what I've noticed, I played um, in two games in tournament where I faced against horseman decks. Yeah, and I've won both of those games. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, at the beginning when you start off in Keyforge, you hear about the horseman, you're like, "Wow, I need a horseman deck," mm-hmm. or that's like gonna be what I can expect to run into at a tournament. That's like the top level. Yeah, and I was a little worried. Yeah, because oh, you, I hadn't you, played one exactly, yeah. and even on Crucible, which is right odd because i played so many crucible games but but i found that you know they're they're strong cards but their impact in the game isn't insurmountable no yeah not at all they're not they're not broken for sure yeah and i don't think it having horseman a deck necessarily means it's a good deck yeah no absolutely not uh it was very cool i think his deck synergizes well with them however um essentially you know if you can get some certain board states uh with with decks uh, specifically smithson Mm mm-hmm like a board state like a moon cursor, which has skirmish and poison. Um, and for anyone who's not aware, poison makes it so that if you do any damage to a creature, you kill it no matter how much uh, power they have or how much right. health they have. Yep. 
Um, so if you get a moon cursor beside a shadow self, yeah, that's, that's a really good board good. state where you can't kill the moon cursor. The moon cursor can just run, wreak havoc on on anything without armor. Yeah, uh, and the horsemen do not have armor, um, which is you know counter to sanctum in general. Yeah. But but it's good. That's good. Don't. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very good that they don't. So I was able to get rid of them. So overall. Uh, you know, Discord's definitely smiling in in my favor, yeah. and uh, I, I I came home with a sweet wild wormhole mat. Yeah, yeah, and I had finally I've been waiting for a mat. That's been your like, like I don't want to buy a mat. Yeah, because I'm gonna win it, and it came and down. You did to it. Me. Yeah, pretty excited. So got three chains, and uh, you know now we can enter power level one tournaments. That's awesome. Yeah. Um. Okay. So pretty proud. I don't have any specific Keyforge-related uh, events that I went to this week, but I do have a hot take. I love so, it. Flame Wreath takes. Yes. My hot take is based on, actually, our last episode, where we were kind of looking at the top-chained deck in the world, Ursula. And um, what we one of the things we had noted when we were talking about how it didn't line up with what you would traditionally expect from a top level deck yeah it's a bit hard to read the cards it has in its house and yeah. one of the things we pointed out was uh, a logos card dr escatera um and dr escatera for anyone who doesn't know is a four power logos creature it has a play effect gain one amber for each forged key your opponent has and so i remember maximum that, of two right maximum of two and i remember you saying that you know in most cases this is like a blank card right and so well mid game Anywhere right. you on mid-game, you're a solid one. Right. And so I've been kind of like ruminating on this card a little bit yeah. for the past week, just looking at it, especially because I've been keeping a close eye on the top chain decks, and I've been seeing like lots new decks of come into it. Uh. Well, not lots of them, but there are at least two decks out of the, I think there's seven or eight uh, decks right now at power mm. level three. Right. And two of them have two copies of Dr. Escatero. Mm. And so I'm like, sense. that cannot be a coincidence, right? So right. I, I decided to take a closer look at this card. And what I've kind of come back with is that I think this is actually a really underrated card. Um, yeah. And I think it's not obvious as to why what makes it good. Yeah. And I think for me, what I see about this card is that, okay, we've, re- we've been talking about Keyforge a lot and how games are, you know, especially the ones you just described, are getting really close. Like, mm-hmm. games are going down to two and two. And I've had a lot of my recent games go down to two keys yeah. versus two keys. It's the best. And I think at a top-level competition, you can pretty much guarantee or expect that to happen in most games, right? If you're assuming that your opponent is going to be of an equal or uh, power level or skill level as you, you can probably, and, and their deck is at an equal level as yours, right? you can probably expect that both of you at some point are going to get to two keys. Mm-hmm. And in those kind of situations... This is where a card like Dr. Escatera becomes invaluable because it essentially reads that it's a, a four-power um, dust pixie. Is that the card? Or uh, Right, yeah. yeah that's the right. One, the untamed dust card pixie gains two ember. One power creature, untamed, play, and it has two... Um, well, it has no play effect, but it has two bonus amber on it. That's right. And so this would essentially be what Dr. Escotera is doing for you in the mid to late game situation. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And it's four power. So it's a, you know, a sizable Reap body potential on, on there. board. So I think this is just an amazing card. And it's a card that's also unlike many other Logos cards. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I think we mentioned in the past that Logos is a very middle of the pack, you know, standardized testing keeps them pretty uh, mid-sized. Yeah. But this is on the kind of like larger mid-size yeah, creatures. Yeah, that's true. So I think with that bonus effect as well, that 
you know, obviously it's not as good in the early game, but in the late to uh, mid to late game, it can really be valuable to get those extra two amber. Yeah, I think this card is a is a sleeper hit. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, we've we've talked about uh, a bit about it too, and I was looking for kind of some more insights as to what made those uh, those top chain decks the top chain decks. Right, and I think you know alongside that that insight you just brought up about you know it being a strong dust pixie also kind of the synergy that it lends itself to in terms of being part of house logos one that archives a lot yeah so if you get you know if you get an early dr escoterra then you can archive that away and play it once a a single or or two keys have been forged you have things like ganymede archivist which is a three power logos card that when you reap with it it allows you to archive from play yeah which is even you know, which is really cool, wherein that you can play Dr. Escoterra, gain some uh, Ember, archive it away with Ganymede Archivist, and then potentially play it again. Right. So um, there's there's quite a bit of Synergy. stuff that could be happening here. Yeah. Uh, if you have, you know, you know, regrowth capabilities or anything like that, too, from an untamed. Um, y- yeah, I think, I think recognizing that it's actually a strong Dust Pixie, uh, it has a play effect in a house that can potentially play tons of cards in a turn, mm-hmm. thanks to library access and stuff like that. You're, you're, it, it can get a lot of mileage as long as it's not pretty much as long as it's pretty much just not in a super early game, and you can, you know, not play it away. That being said, it's still a four power creature, right. and that's nothing to scoff at. So you know, our conclusions: pretty good card. Yeah, pretty good card. Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. And okay. as you said, he's he's a doctor. He is a doctor, yeah, so you can, don't discount those medical degrees, man. Right. Like, people work hard for those. Yeah, actually, we can't assume gender, especially because it's a robot. That is true. Well, it is a doctor, nonetheless. Yeah, it's a doctor, <laughs> nonetheless. So let's get into the news roundup of the week. There's actually been quite a lot of news that has dropped um, Keyforge-related um, in the past week. So we had uh, the episode four of the Crucible cast, which is kind of like the official FFG um show that they do uh, on a monthly or couple week basis. So they dropped some very uh, interesting information this week regarding a lot of things. So one of those things being the Vault Tour. So some of the information they gave us on the Vault Tour that we did not know uh, prior to this was that the top four players from the Vault Tour will receive a free seat at a future Vault Tour event of their choice. That's huge. And the winner of the Vault Tour themselves will receive both travel and accommodations, as well as a seat uh, at a future Vault Tour event. That's awesome. So that is an amazing thing. And they said that they're trying to promote, you know, various talented players to kind of travel with the Vault Tour and go to, out to more events. So that's a pretty cool incentive for people. Um, that's I really, really exciting. Yeah, I really wish that we had a closer Vault Tour to us, because I would definitely go to one of these. Right, but there's still potential for more to kind of show up, Yes, right? they said that they will definitely be adding more tour stops um, as the year goes on. But for right now, I think the closest vault tour to us is across the country. So, oh, geez. Yeah. And in a different country as well. But. Yeah. But I definitely like that uh, there's potential to have winners flown around. Not only does that create kind of a consistency and kind of a pseudo celebrity status for people who are kind of moving around the country, which yeah. is great. Um, that increases kind of the, the legitimacy of, of this game. Kind of, you know, not that I'd expect anything less from the creator of Magic the Gathering right. and FFG, Fantasy Flight Games, being uh, 
you know a powerhouse uh, yeah. distributor and publisher but it's great to see that i think it'll bring up the level of competition yeah that's exciting so in addition to that news on on prizes what they they said as well is that uh for just entering the vault tour event you'll get 30 amber shards so for those of you that are playing and scanning your decks into the uh the ffg master vault app you know that for every deck you scan and you've been getting one amber shard mm-hmm. and that 18 amber shards gives you one key in the app and that uh, they've said, you know, at events and later things, we'll be able to basically cash in those amber shards and keys for, for different prizes from the prize wall. Right. Um, and so what they've said, you're getting 30 amber shards just for entering the event. That's huge. And it's, then, hard to, it's hard to tell how much value 30 amber shards is because they don't have we don't have economy yeah, here yet. But. Yeah. So we don't know how much each of the prizes will cost in terms of amber shards. Right. But 30 seems a lot more than one. Yeah, so that's true. So it's the equivalent of opening 30 and scanning 30 decks, right. right? Which is pretty huge. Yeah. So 30 shards just for entering the Voltour event. And then in addition to that, you'll get 15 Ember Shards per win. So normally in Chainbound events, you're getting one Ember Shard for entering the event, and you're getting one Ember Shard per win. So in the Vault Tours, as an additional incentive for people to come out to these things, you're getting 30 Ember Shards just for entering, and then additional 50 number shard per win, which I really I appreciate awesome. that incentivization. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, you know, the types of prizes that people will want don't yeah. cost, you know, hundred. it's not like uh, <laughs> 10,000 like ember. It's not like Chuck E. Cheese or some some kind of arcade style where, yeah, you need a thousand ember shards to I guess do anything. We'll see but, what they do. Yeah. But hopefully they are reasonably kind of allotted. Priced, yeah. yeah. Hopefully. So. The top 16, they've mentioned, will get even more Ember Shards, but we don't have specific details to that. And a really interesting note is that players who earn the most amount of Ember Shards in the Vault Tour throughout, uh, or the Vault Tour main events throughout the year, will earn an invitation to Worlds. That's wild. That is pretty cool. Um, And we'll get into, obviously, later on in the episode about the organized play structure, but the Vault Tours are something that fall kind of outside the standard um, OP pyramid. OP meaning organized play. So in for you to be able to earn a world's invite for competing and, and winning at these Vulture events is, is pretty awesome. Yeah. So they're definitely not um, cutting any corners with giving people incentives to go out to these things. So I hope to see a lot more maybe uh, Vulture Toronto stock. Yeah. FFG? Yeah. <laughs> Get at us. Yeah. But, okay, so in addition to the Vault Tour info that we got, they also, again, reemphasized that there will be no rotation in Keyforge, so meaning Call the Archons decks and any future, will, sets. future set decks will not get rotated out. They will never become illegal for tournament play. You can always play your decks. Love that. So that is always good to hear. Um, it means our investments in these decks will, will never be kind of... Um, Devalued. Yeah, there will never be any uh, depreciation of of the value of a deck um and then that's important the part that i loved most about the uh cast was actually an uh, an errata has been issued for the card drum or not right <laughs> which i assume you know we we can only assume that they listened to yeah you know, our last clearly episode. ffg has been listening to our uh, age of ascension card reviews yeah exactly um, where we kind of mentioned that you know in the in the stream where they previewed a lot of cards uh, Drummer Not was played kind of incorrectly to its card text, but so what they've said is that they reviewed that, and the card itself is not functioning in a way that they would like it to, mm-hmm. and so they're going to issue an errata for the card 
So um, Drumnaut, for these, those of you who don't know, is a uh, Brobnar creature, six power. It has a play effect currently, or pr- prior to the errata, return a friendly giant creature to your hand. Right. And the errata will now have it read, you may return a friendly giant creature to your hand. So that you don't have to always play it back to your hand. Right. So if you played Drummer Nod alone on a board, it would not automatically force you to return it to your hand. You could actually play it and, and just keep it on a board as a creature. Right. Um, which is which is way better, more flexible. And the may still means you can do all the cool things you could do before if, if you were to return itself. Right. Like returning it and playing it six times with a hunting witch on the board or something. Right. And gaining six amber. Oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. But they also, um, not just in the Crucible cast, but actually through a number of different things, have revealed uh, a number of new cards from the Age of Ascension set this past week. And so I thought we could just very quickly go over them and kind of give our initial first impressions and thoughts on them. So I have them laid out for us here in order. So the first card that we're going to be looking at is called Foozle. So Foozle is a Brabnar creature, 5 power, and it has a Reap ability. If an enemy creature has been destroyed this turn, gain 1 Amber. So what are your thoughts on that, Joe? So that's a pretty, you know, Brabnar card. Brabnar wants to see enemies destroyed. You kind of get your all your play effects from from your creatures getting de- or your enemies getting destroyed, and so this kind of fully falls in line with that. Uh, I like kind of the synergy there. It's a uh, sounds like a solid Brabnar card to have in a house. Yeah, the way I the way I look at this is actually kind of like it's a do fairy for Brabnar. If you know do fairy. Yeah, is, no, that's a good way to put it for sure. Is like the untamed card, two power. Um, it has a reap ability, gain is amber. Elusive. Yeah. yeah. So basically, when you reap with do fairy, in addition to the amber you get for the reap, you get an additional amber, and so Fuzel accomplishes a very similar um, effect. Although it requires you to have destroyed an enemy creature, which is what which is what Brobner Brobner does, does anyway. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, I do Brobner things, and then I, I get gain to use more this ember. as a, as yeah. a do fairy. Yeah, so. yeah. They, they, this is the stand-in for you know what's a great creature that will increase ember generation. Yeah, for for House Brobner, and uh, it's super uh, thematic. To me, it's also interesting that it's a Brobner creature that actually doesn't want to fight. Right. Right. So it's just it's there on the board, and definitely could fight. It's five power. But it, it actually gets the most benefit from that reap ability. Yeah. It's, de- um, it's definitely giving me kind of sh- shadows vibes where it's, you know, it'll just go around and probably, you know, capture Amber from the dead bodies. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I assume is kind of what's happening. It's looting the bodies. Exactly. Yeah. As it were. Okay. The next card up is Grok. And Grok is a five power Brabnar creature. It's a giant. And as a fight ability, your opponent loses one Amber. Yep. So this is literally the inverse of uh, Headhunter, Headhunter, right? Yep. I believe it is from Brabnar. And the reason I like it, I think it's just we've seen in Age of Ascension, Brabnar seems to be getting a lot more cards geared toward Amber Control. Yep. Um, as opposed to just outright fighting, which I think is is desperately needed for all houses, really. So I think um, this is just another you know um, step in that direction. I think it's a good thing for Brabnar. Yep. Love it. Okay, the next card is Into the Fray. Into the Fray is a Brobnar action card. It has a playability for the remainder of the turn. A friendly Brobnar creature gains fight, ready this creature. So this one is super exciting. Uh, As soon as it came up in the cast, uh, we tweeted out uh, on Discourse KF Twitter 
So if you combine this, so you're going to give a creature, uh, a Brobnar creature, every time that it fights, you can ready it again, Mm. essentially. And if you combine that with Mugwump, which is a really cool Brobnar card that I don't, I don't have it in any of my decks. I don't know if you do. I don't know if I do either, honestly. Yeah, but Mugwump... I think it's a rare as well. Yeah, Mugwump's a rare, and Mugwump is a six-power Brobnar creature that when you destroy a creature um, with Mugwump, it fully heals and gains one power counter. Right. So it fully heals and increases its power. If you combine that with Into the Fray and the ability to fight... Yeah, every, fight, every basically time. gives you a perma fight, right? Perma like fight, every time exactly. you fight, you just ready again. So yeah. as long as it survives, it can fight again. Lives right. to fight again. So that's so cool. Uh, it would make a, I want to see some really cool Mugwump combos, but yeah. I'm sure there you know there's a bunch of other cards we haven't seen yet, and yeah. that'll synergize well with. And it's so very Brobnar. Yeah, it's such a cool way to like as you're saying, like comboing this with certain cards, like either a Mugwump. Or even the the previous card we looked at, Groke, where it's fight, your opponent loses one Amber. Right, yeah. Or anything big that can just like survive mm-hmm. multiple fights. Mm-hmm. Um, I can even see this comboing with something like a Drummer Knot. Because Drummer Knot, um, oh, I think I made a, might have uh, misspoke earlier talking about Drummer Knot. Its ability is actually a play, fight, reap ability. Oh, really? So okay, it's not yeah. just a play ability. So... You can use Drummernaut's ability with Multiple the fight turns. as well. That's awesome. So you can imagine a situation where you can use Drummernaut with Into the Fray in addition to another Brobnar creature that has like a playability. Sending to some, keep sending it back. Know, Bumpsy and back Bumpsy. to your hand. Yeah, exactly. So, that, uh, so Bumpsy is a play uh, play effect creature that your, your opponent, opponent loses one Ember. So yeah, there's so much to be done here. Uh, Brobnar is looking really exciting in Age of <sighs> I can't wait to get my hands on these new Brobnar yeah. cards. But in addition to that, just in general, this kind of acts like a pseudo board clear for Brobnar, which yeah, is that's so an exciting. amazing like way to use a Brobnar centric theme yep. to accomplish a very common like um, gameplay mechanic. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's super cool. Adding to that uniqueness of Brobnar. The next new card is, is another Sanctum card, and I think this is only the second uh, Sanctum card from the uh, Age of Ascension expansion that we've seen so far yeah, and yeah this, so. this one is the gray rider aka gandalf the gray that's right um and he is only also the third deploy creature that we've we've seen um of the new set and what this guy does with deploy is gray rider is a two power sanctum creature he has deploy like i said and he has a play fight reap ability you may ready and fight with a neighboring creature right so this uh they have a a sanctum creature similar to this that does not have deploy and that does not have uh, play fight reap but just play which is sergeant zakiel right but sergeant zakiel does not have deploy uh, so that makes this really exciting to be able to kind of insert itself anywhere and help a creature fight mm-hmm. would probably be great in a brobnar deck in age of ascension this is i think in age of ascension the Brobnar Sanctum House combination is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, that's going to like be the a real, fighting force. Real you know? brothers in battle. Like, there's going to just be so much ability to fight and so much ability to leverage that fighting in order to control your opponent's amber or to gain yourself amber that I think I would love to get to Age of Ascension Brobnar Sanctum combo. Yeah. So, moving on to the next card, we're moving into Shadow's House. Yeah, we got to see a lot of really great Shadow's action cards. Yeah. So, this one is called Life for a Life, it's a Shadow's action card. You get an amber for playing it, and its play effect is 
sacrifice a creature to deal six damage to a creature. So obviously with the sacrificing a creature uh, mechanism, you can compare this easily to pawn sacrifice. So it's like a, a single target pawn sacrifice in that way. Right, exactly. And I think it's just awesome because it gives us more uses for Bad Penny. And Bad Penny is something I think, you know, I think a lot of people really had high anticipation for Bad Penny when the, uh, when the game was first coming out. Because it's just a continuously recurring creature. Right, and not a ton of ways to use it. Really. Yeah, exactly. And like, but outside of Secret Needle, I don't think people have found like super good ways. Pawn Sacrifice is another one. Yep. Um, but this just gives us another way to really make use of Bad Penny, which I think is great because it's such a, a key card in Shadow's House. Yeah, it's and it's a very cool concept. Yeah. The next card, still in Shadows here, is uh, Ronnie. Wrist Clocks. Yeah, Ronnie Wrist Clocks. Um, so shadows so shadows right now he's two power he's an elf and a thief and he has the playability steal one amber if your opponent has seven or more steal two amber instead that's great it's just a solid very (laughs) shadowsy card i can't see anything wrong with this card you know it's just it's it's again one of those um I compare it to the uh, fighting game term option select cards, right? Right. So it's like, well, if your opponent doesn't have more than seven amber, you steal one. If he does, you steal two. Right. So I think this is a super just solid card. I'm, I'm happy to see that it's common. Right. So and you'll be seeing this a lot in Shadows. I love that it kind of takes you below, um, you know, your six amber potential yeah. in the right circumstance, but it's not so overpowered that if you're beyond seven that you're going to that you're gonna be below your... Your six amber, right. which is nice. It's really similar to um, Urchin uh, in that way. Uh, Urchin is a card that has a playability, Shadow's Creature, playability, steal one amber, mm-hmm. and also has elusive. Right. So Ronnie does not have elusive, but I think given that he has that additional bonus of if your opponent has seven or more, yeah, more you steal immediate two, gain. I like this card a little better. Okay, the next card up is Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch is a Shadow's action. You get an amber for playing this card. It is an alpha card, so you can only play this card before doing anything else in that step. And it has the play effect to deal 2 damage to an enemy creature. If that creature is destroyed by this effect, archive Sucker Punch. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. Dope, dope, dope. Yep. Uh, this is obviously immediately effective, and there's no reason why you you would feel bad about getting this in your hand uh, other than the fact that it's uh you know the alpha effect and if you had another alpha going but uh shadows doesn't see a lot of archiving um so i think that's it's just it's a good card and it's nice to see that yeah um i think it's i love the theme first off of you know sucker punch you think of being like the first punch th- being thrown right. so it has to be an alpha card exactly of course, right? exactly yeah and i really like the way that they've been using alpha and the cards that we've we've uh seen so far in that it is gearing the game more towards uh, setting up plays right. prior to uh, the turn where you're going to play the card. And I think that only you know elevates the level of gameplay because now you have to start thinking very much so a turn ahead. Yeah. Right? Okay, I have an alpha or I have an alpha card in my hand. I need to get the most value of the, out of this in my next turn. Right. So exactly. how can I set that up? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, just being able to proc that ability to archive it is just so good because you also get the extra bonus amber for playing it again. Ooh, um, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, that, that that's right? happening. That's really great. 
And again, but it's not too too strong. It's just a one, you know. Either yeah, you either do that damage, and you're fighting, you know, a bunch of Brobnars or a bunch of Sanctums. You're not going to get a lot of mileage out of it, but but it is very solid. Yeah, it's a very solid. Card. And it's it's continuing that theme of Shadows cards being the best way to deal with Shadows creatures. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of weak Shadows creatures that you can you can proc this ability on. Yeah, that's uh, it's super exciting when I'm. It's just gonna be so excited for Age of Ascension. All these <laughs> Age all of these Ascension is gonna reviews. be amazing. I'm so glad I've already pre-ordered like a, a yeah. display. If you folks <laughs> haven't pre-ordered that, then you need to get on it yeah. because I mean, like after this this cast, don't yeah. don't stop listening to this cast, obviously. But <laughs> after, right after this cast is done, go yeah. pre-order some Age of Ascension. Okay, so moving on to our next card, Nightforge. This is a Shadows action card. You also get an amber for playing this. It has the play effect. If you have not forged a key this turn, you may forge a key at plus four current cost. So I'm going to let you take this one, Joe, because I know this has uh, similarities to a card you're awfully fond of. Yeah, right? so Currently. everyone knows uh, if you follow us at all on on the, the social medias that um, we love Key of Darkness. No, I'm kidding. We, we throw, like, I throw personally so much shade at Key of Darkness, uh, a Shadows card that is nearly impossible to 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 activate um and so i i would put you know bets that nightforge is going to be the uh quote key cheat card of shadows uh it's a great card you gain one amber uh and there's been a bit of discussion on twitter as well about this you know some people have gone back and forth um with us uh this is really strong you know it's not hard for shadows to generate ember yep you it puts you at you know because it gives you an amber and it's plus four cost it's pretty much plus three cost to generate uh or to 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 key cheat um the art on it is so dope and it's called nightforge which sounds so shadowsy yeah uh, it also so, reminds me a lot of uh fortnite it's just like forge night forge like night. flipped it yeah yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Gonna... um so i mean my only thought, I mean, actually, this brings up a lot of thoughts. One, I'm wondering if they're just going to bring parody to kind of all the houses. Uh, is there going to be, you know, a key cheat in Robnar at some point? Mm-hmm. Um, or Logos? Probably not Logos, because Logos is doing great. But, um, you know, that's <laughs> Well, I mean, thing. Shadows is doing great. That's what I mean. That's, and that's, that's, that's why I wonder if they're going to bring it, because I don't think Shadows needs a key cheat, personally. This is a, this is where my, my concern around this card actually comes up, because... You know, it's not like Shadows was uh, was kind of like limping along amongst the other houses. Exactly, it, it's been in full stride. You know, yeah. Shadows is one of the top houses right now. If you look at the the power level three decks, I'm pretty sure across the board, all of them have Shadows. Yeah, and so for Shadows to then get this additional tool, which is a better version of a of Key of Darkness, as you said, um, for for most, it's very it's different than Key of Darkness. Yeah. but in my opinion, it's it's a better version. Um, it's gonna be common does this make you know sense in shadows like is this too strong given that shadows has such a strong ability to generate amber through steels yeah well uh you can bet that we're gonna talk about it once age of ascension comes out and we get the full lowdown on what's out there i think this is definitely um, a card we can expect to be limited to one even though it is a common card oh absolutely the next card is heist knight heist knight is a shadows action card it's another alpha card and it has the playability Steal 1 Amber for each friendly thief creature. Yeah, so that's a super solid card. I like that it's alpha to balance it out, meaning you can't play a bunch of thieves, then play it, right. and kind of have a huge combo there. Um, 
it you know you kind of have to plan around this thieves generally don't last long on the board or you don't want them to last long on the board right uh, to do much uh, and they're really small uh, but it's nice you know if you're playing an archon tournament and you, you look at the opponent's deck and you see that there's heist knight and you know some urchins or some other thieves yeah. that you can kind of you know think about that but uh overall it's a s- strong card but yeah. well balanced i think do you know question do you know how many creatures in shadow's house are not thieves no i believe i i, I know mean, the answer. you know the answer I like okay so if i had i like you have to guess yeah if i had to guess i'd say one which is shadow self okay so it's actually two okay so that which is itself like okay so everything is a thief in shadows except for two cards and the two cards are as you said shadow self which is specter and masses which yeah, is a beast knew it. but other than that Every other shadows creature is a is a thief, so I feel like this card is not going to be like terribly difficult to get off. To get off, yeah. The only difficulty is obviously thieves and shadows cards in general tend to not be the strongest creatures, so right. they're vulnerable to damage and to to fight. Yeah. Um, but lots of them have elusive, so exactly. we'll see. This could be. I mean, shadows still shape me up to not be an underdog. No, no, not at all. <laughs> in this in Age of Ascension, but... yeah, not underwhelmed with the uh, shadows cards that have been revealed so far, right? By any means. So this is a this is a very good card in my opinion. Cool, uncommon. So we are moving on now to the Untamed House, and the first card up is Fang House, aka you know terrifying card art <laughs> yeah. uh, for cobra for anyone who hasn't seen it multiple legs like yeah, it's a it's a cobra made a baby with a centipede and not a pretty thought no yeah that's enough i think for for nightmare fuel <laughs> that's that's your for uh, sure. daily nightmare fuel yeah and so fang house is an untamed creature three power and it's really cool because it has assault so cool. three as well as hazardous three right so it's you could say it has bite, you know. Hi oh Fang House. You could. you could say it's got fangs. Yeah. Um yeah, so for anyone who is unaware, assault makes it so that when uh before this creature attacks, uh it deals three damage, and hazardous means before it's attacked it deals three damage. Uh so it can auto kill anything that's three or less yes. that so, it attacks or tries to be attacked by. In my mind, this is essentially almost like you can consider it a six power creature mm-hmm. that can free kill anything that's three power below. Right, that's a pretty good way to put it. Yeah. So I think this is a super cool card. We've never seen these two abilities kind of packaged together. Yeah, that's very. It's it's. I that'll be a problem on a board. Three yeah. is pretty high, um, in the in terms of trying to get direct damage off. Yeah. So uh, that's that's cool. I, I like that. Yeah, really cool card. The next untamed card is Tantadlin. It's a nine power creature. Uh, it's a tree, which it's I think like, is it's like an ant. Yeah, <laughs> I think this is the first tree creature we've seen. Um, and Tantadlin. About time. Yeah. So exactly. Imagine having this in, in Forest Keeper. Oh right. Um, Tantadlin only deals two damage when fighting. So despite having nine power, it only deals two damage when fighting, and has a fight effect. Discard a random card from your opponent's archives. So this card is so anti logos. It's yeah. only the second card in the game that we've really seen that uh, can interact with the opponent's archives, besides uh, the other one being Desania, which is a Logos creature um, that discards all of your opponent's archive cards, and you gain an Amber for, for each of them. Right. Um, so we've gone back and forth on this a bit. Sure. To, yeah. you know, wondering, you know, it looks like based off of what we've seen so far of Age of Ascension, mm-hmm. that 
interactions with archives are is going to actually be you know a slightly bigger focus yes um but it does seem quite situational so uh until we get the full list out and and kind of see some 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 full decks in the wild yeah uh it's going to be hard to tell how much value that has that being said nine um you know nine power creature on the board uh will be hard to deal with and it can still reap right it can still reap one thing i noted about this card is i feel like it will not be good particularly against mars house because Mm. mars has a habit of archiving your opponent's cards so if your opponent has your cards in their archive and you accidentally discard them with a tantadlin's effect right they go to your discard pile so i mean that's not inherently bad but you don't have that potential of your opponent needing to pick up their archives and then giving you back your archive cards anymore. Right, right. Yeah, there's a catch-22 there. At the same time, um, if your deck cycles quickly or if your deck cycles at all because it's kind of a grindy match, you sometimes it's better to free up your cards because, you know, when I've played Mars cards in the past, like Sample Collection that take your opponent's cards, they're gone forever. And so that is, interestingly, Tantadlin would, is the... Uh, one of the few counters to that yeah it's an interesting definitely has interesting interactions with a lot of mars mechanics yeah um an additional note is that i think cards like this that are you know on the surface nine power or high power level but don't necessarily do a whole lot of damage back are dangerous targets for fight abilities because you can fight into these things and your creature can survive mm-hmm. and you can proc your fight abilities right. on them like a dodger from yes. shadows anything really you know right. any other fight ability where you can get it to proc um and keep your creature relatively healthy yeah that's a bonus for sure yeah and so these cards have that kind of inherent weakness to them but it is nice to see kind of more cards with uh, varying power and attack and defense stats which is really cool the next untamed card is um they're everywhere with like exclamation that. mark included. It's a... I think it's... They're everywhere! It, yeah. The way that you have to say this card is actually, like, exclaiming it. Yeah, you know, I'm excited to, to, like, to play more yeah. more cards that sound, <laughs> sound like exclamation. I haven't been doing that, actually. Yeah. Like, with a rise? I shouldn't... How, do you, how yeah. should you say that? Like, arise! Oh, yeah. Should I yeah. do, like, a hand motion, yeah. too? Yeah. And if you can kind of get some, like, thunder effects yeah. or, you know, any, anything like that. Yeah. Definitely add to the production value of Keyforge games. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So There Everywhere is a untamed action card. You get an amber for playing it, and it has the play effect, deal two damage to each enemy creature, deal one damage... Oh, That's sorry. To each um, enemy flank creature. Right. So deal two damage to each enemy flank creature, deal one damage to each enemy creature not on a flank. Yeah. So I love, thematically, you know, since They're Everywhere, the, the card art is like a bunch of sanctum um, creatures being you know, uh, run up on, as it were, or surrounded. Right. Which, and... you know, this card wouldn't do too much to most Sanctum creatures, though, you know? Yeah, so we had a commentary on that <laughs> as well, which is funny because most Sanctum creatures have, have armor. armor to protect them from that small amount of damage. Yeah. Uh, that being said, uh, I like the theme in that, you know, the flanks get hit first and less damage is done to the the, uh, the ones on the creatures. inside, right. Um, solid card, one amber gain. Yeah, I also think it's it's a, a cool card you can combo with Save the Pack. Um, oh, yeah. Which is the untamed uh, action, uh, destroy each damaged creature, gain one chain. Yep. So, it's a really great combo. It's really good. And even 
on its own, standalone, it's it's a decent AOE um, clear. Yeah. So I think overall, very good card. Awesome. All right. Um, Way of the Porcupine. This is our second last card here. And it is a untamed upgrade card. You get an amber for playing it. And its text reads, this creature gains hazardous three. Um, so in so, my mind, you know, hazardous, we've talked about this, is just better than assault, in my opinion, in, in almost every case. Because it doesn't require you to actively use the card. Mm-hmm. It just passively is on that card. So um, in that sense, it can apply you know, multiple times on your opponent's turn if your opponent is trying to attack that hazardous creature versus with Assault. You can only really use it once on your turn outside of um, using other cards to uh, ready and fight with that um, creature with Assault again. Right. So in my mind, Hazardous is, is, is the better mechanic. And anything that gives uh, creatures hazardous is a good card. In yeah, my like Flame Wreath from Dis. Uh, that being said, yeah, based on what we've seen out of Robnar's uh, fight benefits and potential to multi-fight, uh, Way of the Bear, the the uh, kind of pairing card to the Way of the Porcupine that gives assault, yeah. um, would be really cool on Robnar cards. It uh, would be. But I see what you're saying in terms of kind of utility. Yeah. Um, hazardous definitely gets more utility on average and i think they the game uh designers know that because i think there are only uh three cards yeah there's fewer hazardous that has hazardous um but i think this is a great card just in general for untamed to have yeah and it's uh kind of hilarious yeah (laughs) it's a a really cool uh animal spirit to call upon yeah so our last card uh that's been revealed this past week is roxador and Roxador is a untamed creature for power. It's a beast. It has skirmish. So when it uh, fights a creature, it's dealt no damage in return. Uh, Roxador only deals, however, two damage when fighting, and it has a fight ability: stun the attacked creature. Um, Joe, what do you what do you think of this? So this was an awesome. This is an awesome card, and this was kind of the first in this week's kind of or yeah this, this one was actually revealed in twitter i believe yeah it was revealed on twitter they uh, fantasy flight games asked for uh name um recommendations for this which is really cool i love that they're kind of trying to source um from the community some names <laughs> fortunately uh our recommendation uh ancient elephant didn't work <laughs> just trying to you know keep it thematic right but right. uh maybe it was too long good attempt yeah right um, so Roxador is cool too, I guess. Um, and so fight stun is a really cool mechanic. I think, um, we have yet to see that on skirmish far as I know. Um, so the, the, the ability to stun an attacked creature and not take damage and kind of just keep doing that yeah. is, is really awesome to me. Um, sorry, did you have another thing to add on? Yeah. That? And I was just going to say, and if you put way of the porcupine on here, um, it would be really scary. Right. Well, I think Way of the Porcupine on anything is good. That's fair. But the way that I look at Roxador is kind of, uh, I parallel it to the card from Shadows, Masses Asp, mm-hmm. that we talked about. Mm-hmm. And, the you know, Masses Asp has Skirmish as well, but it has the poison keyword. So it means it can attack things, not take any damage in return, and deal poison damage, which will just outright kill the key, uh, creature. But instead, what Roxador does is it stuns that creature that it fights, Right. But there are a couple upsides to Roxador, despite the fact that, you know, it doesn't have poison, so it doesn't just kill the creature. The fact that it's a fight ability and not poison means that it doesn't actually have to deal that damage in order for the effect to go off. Right. So you can get past things like armor or elusive, 
So that's something that uh, Masses Asp can't do with poison. Right. That's a really good point. So having that ability as a fight to stun creatures, I think, is really cool. It's also one of those cards that we've seen along with uh, Tantadlin that has that power stat, but it does a differential amount of damage when fighting. Right. Yeah, those varying uh, stats. Yeah. Which is, which is uh, essentially like splitting the power stat into almost like an attack and health, as you would think in yeah. a traditional card game, which I think is, it blew my mind the first time I, I realized that. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this thing is basically like a two attack, four health creature. Yeah. And it's, um, that it, you know, uh, as, as more kind of varying stat creatures come out, that's really going to open the door for both, you know, a thematic perspective of, of what these are all like or what the card's supposed to be like, because I think this matches, you know, it's heavier but deals less damage and it stuns because it's a, it's a freaking elephant. Yes. Um, but at the same time, um, you can just create so much more card variety by tweaking these things. Yeah. Um, so that's really exciting. I, I'm excited to see more of that. Stunning card. hi so one last uh, minor news update that uh, came through in the past week is an update to SAS. SAS 3.0 came out, uh, and basically what this update did was it took into consideration the win rates of cards um, through the official API to inform the card rating. So taking into account those win percentages for each card, uh, the SAS algorithm is now basing their ratings of each card on that win percentage somewhat right exactly so i think that's a, a cool update uh it'll be interesting to see how that re- is reflected in in sas um deck ratings yeah and yeah i'd be curious I, to know if anyone has run their deck through the new sas 3.0 and seeing how their deck rating has changed yeah and if it's more reflective definitely let us know kind of in the comments um if you've noticed or if it, it, it seems to reflect your experience uh better uh, I love that, you know, they're doing constant updates, uh, Corethan and team. So given that in Keyforge, we are currently in the time of triumph, where we are just starting to see these competitive and organized play events get started, really. And also in celebration of your, of your recent tournament win, Joe, I thought it might be a good idea to kind of do a, a walkthrough or guide of the Keyforge organized play or OP structure. Totally. Um, just to give people a sense of how everything works together, um, how they should go about breaking into the in the organized play scene, and uh, anything they should do to kind of prepare themselves for that. Yeah, no, I think that's totally warranted. Even at my tournament, there was someone there at the Chainbound event, and yeah. they were like, a bit confused. what's Chainbound? Yeah. <laughs> so I think this is a great... Uh, time for this so take I, it away i think all the information is out there but it's just uh, a little bit kind of spread out so you have to kind of check different sources mm-hmm. to get a clear picture of it so i thought we might as well just kind of break everything down for people so the first thing i wanted to just talk about and go over is the op pyramid the pyramid of organized play events and how that works from top to bottom and so right at the bottom of the uh, pyramid you have the core events, which are your in-store local chain-bound events. And these are kind of your entry level for the organized play pyramid. These events can be held once, a maximum of once per week per retailer. And in these events, you will gain and lose chains based on your performance. And these chains carry on to the next event. Chains are only applied after the event takes place, um, but not between round to round. So one of the things that uh, we've cleared up recently is what the purpose of, of chains will, will be 
And so we know that chains are, in part, meant to uh, maintain a certain level of balance within your local meta so that not any one deck can just come week after week and completely dominate the uh, the scene. Yeah, that would be sad. Um, it encourages people to try out a diversity of decks once they've um, kind of reached a, a peak power level. I think power level 4 is the level at which chainbound events are capped. So once you reach that power level 4, your deck will no longer be uh, legal to play in chainbound events, and you can move on to the next deck. As well... In the future, they have hinted that chains will be used as, or power levels rather, will be used as a kind of prerequisite to participate in certain higher level events. So that will be cool. It'll give you a reason that you want to actually accumulate power levels on a deck. Yeah, and I, I know that we talked, and there's not a ton of information around uh, what those events will look like and what power means in really the grand scheme of things, other than that they will be required for those tournaments. Yeah. But we're hoping that you know, this will be the the great balancer, as it were, of some sort. So where power level one decks will be able to fight against each other or play against each other and two, three, and four. And it creates kind of those tiers where, you know, if your deck only happens to make it to power level one and you've gone to multiple chain mount events mm-hmm. and you can't break power level one, then, you know, you're pretty much confirmed at that point for power level one. And then you can play against other decks that are power level one. And it's essentially a fair matchup, which exactly. is really exciting. I think we should, because we mentioned power levels, but I feel like I didn't explain exactly how they relate to chains. So power levels are attained by accumulating a certain number of chains. Right. And unlike chains, power levels are permanent. So you're not gaining and losing. Well, you are gaining them, but you can't lose power levels by participating in an event. Right. So even if you drop below the threshold of chains needed for that power level, your deck still remains at its, its highest achieved power level. And yeah, at some of the tiers of tournaments... We said that you would need certain power levels to participate, and as well, uh, certain tournaments will be capped, power level capped, so you can't bring a deck over a certain power level, such as the uh, local chain-bound events. Power levels will range from 0 to 11. We only really have information on how to attain power level 4, but to get to those higher power levels, we don't know how many chains you would have. Right, and uh, we'll, we'll post a, a link to, kind of, they have a, a breakdown of how many chains equals how many power levels or what power level you're at, so we'll definitely post that on the link. Right. So the next level of tournaments in the OP Pyramid are store championships, and these are bigger standalone events. These happen uh, not on a weekly basis, uh, but much less common. What we've heard is that these store championships can be held once per set, so, Which means we're waiting on two, I guess we'll be at two. <laughs> well, we're waiting uh, for the call of the Archons on, because I don't think we've had one of these yet. No, yeah. And when AOA comes out, we can we can expect another one of those. Uh, but an interesting note is I also was looking at just the FFG's organized play structure, and they say that store championships will occur twice per year. So I'm wondering if combining that once per set and twice per year thing, does that mean that we can expect two Keyforge sets per year. Hmm. That'd be an interesting uh, thing, because if I so... I wouldn't be mad at that at all. Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, release schedule. Yeah. But that is store championships. Of course, those still happen on a store level um, at your local retailer. Yep. And then the next level up from there are regional level Maverick Prime Championships. And these are less common than store championships, and will just kind of be like a a larger event to to draw in people not just from your local store scene, but people from the region to come to that store. Right. 
And these will also be one of the events in which you can earn a qualification for world championships. So those are the prime championships. You'll see us there. Okay, so the Chainbound events, the Store Championships, and the Prime Championships are the three events that will take place at store level at, uh, at select retailers. Moving up from that, you have then the Grand Championships. And these are regional tournaments run once per nation or territory per year. So these are an equivalent to, uh, to your nationals, you can right. think of them. And of course, as you would imagine, these are also tournaments where you can earn a spot, a qualifying spot at Worlds. So we have regional level prime championships and we have grand championships where you can earn your spot to Worlds. And then the last level of the pyramid, the top level is, of course, the World Championships, which are invite only. And we know that we're not having World Championships in 2019, but those will start in 2020. Very exciting. Yeah. Thought, any thoughts on that uh, tournament structure pyramid, Joe? Uh, no, it sounds pretty, you know, standard, I guess, uh, as it were, I would say I really want to know kind of how power levels plays into that. So I'm excited to get some more information around that. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, uh, I know that we just are itching to get out to more chain mount events. Um, but you know, for anyone kind of new, essentially what you can expect right now is you're going to want to make it out to chain mount events. Essentially, if you read about those, Google them check Facebook for your local events, uh, figure out where your chain mount events are. There's a Discord as well, and if you go on Reddit, that's kind of linked there, uh, mm-hmm. Reddit slash Keyforge Game. Um, so, you know, what you can expect is that you're going to want to go to those chain mount events, get some chains, and start that process. Rank up your power levels. Yeah, exactly. So one additional note, uh, just on the format of these tournaments, is that there are two main formats of, of Keyforge, and those are the Archon format and the Sealed format. That Those are the ones supported by FFG, but right. you know your, your local uh, game store may have some fun alternates. Right. So these are the main formats of the game. Um, in Archon, uh, you are bringing your own deck, mm-hmm. and in Sealed, you're receiving a deck and opening it and playing it at the event. The standard play for both of these two main formats is solo play. So that means you're sticking with one deck uh, for, the, for the entire tournament. Yep. So there is one additional type of event that falls somewhat outside of the standard uh, OP pyramid, um, and these are the Vault Tours. So Vault Tours are open events with exclusive prizes, and they have main and side events. Vault Tours will basically be a, a worldwide tour of events happening in Keyforge, where uh, I think, as we said in the the news update, the winner gets a free flight and lodging uh, for a later Vault Tour of their choice. And the the year's top points earner from Vault Tours uh, will earn a qualification for Worlds. Right. So these are pretty cool events. And yeah, just an additional way that you can earn that spot at the World Championships. Yeah, and we hope that there's a lot of uh, kind of Vault Tours available to yes. everyone. There are a couple of future events they've also teased, which are leagues and team leagues, uh, which sound really interesting. We don't have too much information on those, but team leagues, uh, they've said, are basically you will form a team of, I think, three to four players. So and cool. And you'll basically select your deck uh, prior to an event and then you know go and, and compete as a team, which is pretty cool. Uh, there's also... As I said, we're not having a World Championships in 2019 for Keyforge, hmm. but they have teased that there will be a celebration event, which will be a large event in late 2019. So we Ooh. can look forward to that. 
So Joe, where should people start really in, in trying to get involved in, in the organized play and competitive scene in Keyforge? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I, I definitely empathize with this question. Uh, one, you know, we've been seeing some posts uh, on the internet and Reddit and whatnot asking about, you know, for this information, which is uh, the reason why we thought that this was a good idea to kind of put yeah, this information, good information together. To cover. Um, but at the same time, you know, me being, uh, as I mentioned before, kind of less experienced in this realm of going to, you know, local meetups, going to tournaments, yeah. um, you know. Well, not anymore. You're, yeah, you're no, a tournament not, winner yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm a regular old uh, Yugi yeah. from Yu Gi Oh! Um, but you know, for the most part, I hadn't had much experience going to these things. So, um, yeah, you don't really know all the pieces uh, and and things you need to be aware of when you go to them. So um, starting out, first of all, you know, as we mentioned earlier, you definitely want to find out where your local events are, what's yeah. close to you. Um, the chain-bound events specifically, too. Yeah, right? specifically chain-bound events. Uh, but locals are great, too, like local meetups that, you know, even if it's not a tournament, um, if you just want to, if it's open play or yeah, something it's like open that. play, you know, get out there, uh, meet some people. Um, I would say, you know, first and foremost, the one thing you need to bring, uh, and that everyone should bring is a really great attitude. Yeah. Um, it's, it's easy <laughs> to get upset. Yeah. It's easy to get upset and salty about, uh, you know, wins and losses and especially, especially in the tournament format. Um, but you know, that's one thing that, uh, we definitely want to kind of champion. Um, you know, when you, play with people you know you're playing with people in real life uh it's 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 super important to kind of keep your cool yeah and be um, just courteous yeah be courteous um not everyone knows what every card is um some you know because of the this game's accessibility it's drawing in a lot of new players and you might be one of those new players mm-hmm. um so there's a lot of stuff uh that you know some of us have been digging into this game like crazy and that's that's great that we have so much information, but not everyone else shares that. So exactly yeah, that those are kind of different elements. But in terms of kind of actual actual physical yes. things that you might want to bring, what should you bring? I think um, the basics are definitely going to be counters of some sort. Um, uh, for do you mean tokens, yeah, tokens okay. and counters. So exactly. So uh, you know, ironically, I went to this tournament and didn't have any keys. And so I, I did have like a variety of counters and stuff like that. And um, they did mention, FFG has mentioned that you, there's three types of keys, red, blue, and yellow. And at some point in the future, those will have a weight to them and those will be required for, you know, actual tournament play. Interesting. Um, so that's definitely something you want to be aware of. But for the most part, you can use kind of anything. You to... can use any tokens from other games you have. Yeah, exactly. Um, the one note on that that they've said is that you cannot use dice. Right, so... for FFG play. And I wouldn't recommend, you know, getting into that habit yeah, if they've exactly. already kind of frowned upon dice. And the reason being... Um, it's easy to just kind of get them knocked over and then not, you know, forget. remember or be, agree with your opponent what the number was before that. And... Yeah, just a lot of headaches to avoid. You definitely want some sort of counters for for damage. Counters or tokens, rather, for damage. You want some for Ember Yep. Um, to track that. And then you want something for keys. You want something for stuns. Uh, ideally, you have uh, a different you know, uh, token for all of those things. Yeah, so you want a good amount of tokens to bring. Yeah, and uh, you know, it doesn't have to be um, super fancy. You can go to... You, your local dollar store or kind of um, any store that that sells stuff like that craft store yeah um, and get what you need and 
you know, maybe get creative and decorate them yourself or, or what have you. But just having those kind of basics will be super important. One thing that wasn't mentioned for um, tournament matches, if you're not familiar with the, you know, the, the card game uh, tournament style, they're timed. So, right. um, and, you know, in a, in a more uh, grindy match uh, where there's a lot of back and forth, sometimes it can be getting close to the time limit, which is not something you always want to do. And being able to kind of move your your tokens around uh, quickly um, and, and having those already is going to be kind of an important factor. Yeah. In addition to tokens as well, if you if you are someone who would like to keep their cards in good condition, sleeves are another thing to think about. Absolutely. Um, and there are a couple of rules on sleeves to just note at premier level events. So at high level uh, Keyforge events, you will be required to have opaque sleeves. So meaning you can't see through the back of them. Um, and that's just because cards over time can get damaged and marked. And even if it's non-intentional, it could be, you know, uh, construed as, you know, you trying to know what the card is um, just from seeing the back of it. So yeah. opaque sleeves are required. Uh, but for local in-store play, um, it's really up to the tournament organizer's discretion. And most of it that I've seen have been cool with using clear sleeves. Another thing to keep in mind is just the way that uh, information about deck lists is uh, handled for the different types of formats. So for Archon, as we said, you're bringing your own deck. That deck list is public information, so it's completely um, legit for your opponent to want to see your deck list prior to you starting the game. Yeah, so there's actually like a full kind of uh, etiquette for that Mm -hmm. um, where you have one minute to study your opponent's deck, or at least kind of the tournaments that that i've been playing right um you so um you know as we talked about uh kind of in the last episode we're analyzing decks uh and kind of getting a good understanding of things that's definitely an element that uh, i recommend you be ready for understand you know if you're going to an archon tournament with your own deck what do you need to know about the opponent's deck right and what are you looking minute. for in their list exactly you have one minute to figure that out so bring a great memory and understanding of your yeah. deck it could definitely help you go a lot further in your tournaments, for oh, sure. absolutely. Um, so on the flip side of that, for sealed events, the deck lists are actually supposed to be hidden. That's right. Yeah. So you will Which not really know. really fun, too. And they, and they encourage you also not to register your deck on the Master Vault pro- uh, until the tournament is over. Right. Uh, which makes sense, because then, you know, you can't just look up the name of the Archon. So, yeah, those those definitely make the, um, the sealed tournaments a lot more of a fun surprise whenever you're playing a, against someone, mm-hmm. um, because you just have no clue. And likewise, your opponent has no clue what's in your deck. So I think that's a, a really uh, cool point about sealed tournaments. Yeah. So that being said, I have a question um, for you, Joe. And my question is, do you think Keyforge will ever reach the same kind of size of events that something like Magic the Gathering has, has achieved? Do you think we'll ever get those large kind of pro circuit tournaments with like huge you know cash prize payouts and and all that jazz is that something that you foresee in the future of keyforge yeah it's 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 really hard to tell i mean magic the gathering has been out forever yeah so i think 20 um, plus years yeah 20 plus years so it's had some time um and i wish i knew more about kind of the historical growth of magic mm-hmm. um but you know magic also came out at a time uh when video games were you know in their infancy uh, for the most part, especially compared to how they are now. Um, and so its ability to kind of um, break through uh, and become a huge card game um, was different, you know? That being said, Keyforge is 
getting a lot of steam quickly it's so accessible more accessible than magic yeah uh, ever has been or will be um you know for 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 people um to fortunate enough to have uh more than one deck um you could literally just give a deck to a friend and they're now keyforge ready um you know uh whether or not it's the best deck in the world they could go to a tournament um, yep. and play with it so um, i'm hoping that kind of all of those things combined those factors allow uh for that i think a huge aspect of whether or not this becomes big will fall on the you know well a lot of it falls on the community but most of it falls on ffg, FFG as well right um, how far they want to push this yeah exactly and that you know the scenes are organized and, and a bit of you know the local um game stores who are holding these tournaments that they're um kind of nurturing a good environment for these tournaments and they're not kind of slacking uh with their administration of the tournament so hopefully you know there's 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 a couple of factors at play but just based on the sheer excitement uh the sheer um you know you know how the how the community's picked it up yeah i think it it very well could do that um and uh as we kind of figure out more about how power levels will come into play. I'm really excited to see, um, you know, a circuit really come to life around, okay, if you're power level one, which, you know, I don't expect most decks to get to power level four, right? Yeah. That's kind of uh, a given that the, that the really, really strong decks are going to be few or far between. But we also know that Keyforge has done a really great job with its procedurally generated algorithm at, at developing decks that are kind of at a at a solid average um you know, very, very playable tier. Mm-hmm. Um, so that also makes it so that you don't need to buy 20 decks. Hopefully, you don't need to buy a bunch of decks. Just to, find one that you like. And yeah, that that's worth playing. Play. Exactly, exactly. And so I think that'll play a big role too, that you don't have to be a hardcore Keyforge player to um, to take part in the scene. Yeah. I think, as you said, all the potential in the world is there mm-hmm. because the game is, is the most accessible I've seen out of any sort of card game yeah. really in recent times yeah it's all about you know the execution of how they organize themselves in the tournaments and you know how much they want to invest in, in building and incentivizing the community to come out yeah exactly uh, i think you know any deck being um a viable in some way to be played is uh is going to be an important aspect but they're doing a pretty great job so far so one thing that I thought would be interesting to look into is actually just historically how FFG has kind of supported their their prizes and um, um, the community tournaments like the Worlds. So I looked at um, a couple of the previous kind of world championships that they did for uh, the various card games that they do. Um, L5R, uh, Legend of the Five Rings is one. Uh, that just recently happened in 2018. So in general, I think that the types of prizes that FFG tends to award at these um, top-level events are more geared towards uh, one-of-a-kind type of game accessories like playmats or tokens, what have you, mm-hmm. um, as well as, obviously, trophies. And one of the more interesting awards or prizes that you can win from these uh, world events is that you can help to inspire the design of future cards in, your ga- in the game that you uh, play. Love that. So that is really cool as well as just getting airfare and paid accommodation and a seat at the next Worlds for the for the next following year. Right. So those are the types of prizes in general that FFG tends to uh, use as incentives for their highest level of play. 
So one of the interesting questions for me, and we can just kind of cover this quickly, is do you think that is you know a worthwhile incentive for people to really invest in this game and come out to ter- as many tournaments as they can? Yeah, I think it definitely is a worthwhile incentive. Like yeah. that's uh, you know a huge barrier to entry, uh, flight and accommodations. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, that's that's a big piece. Uh, however, at the same time, that caters to the highest level of competition. Right. At the same time, which um, I definitely want to see kind of a balancing act at play where uh, the m- m- more kind of average Keyforge player with, you know, the time and ability to make it out to everything can still feel like um, it's worth their time to yeah. join into the community to, you know, strengthen the community. Um, and, you know, I, I want, I'd love to see bigger turnouts uh, locally. And, Me too. Um, so... The, I, I love that they are focusing on that element, um, but definitely want to make sure that um, there's in- incentivization kind of yeah. across the board. I think that for Keyforge, I don't ever see it becoming one of those games where you have like a huge like Vegas pro circuit or anything that's happening where people are coming out to compete for like $2 million. Right. Um, yeah. I don't think it's going to be, well, not not yeah, anytime <laughs> yeah. soon. So you're but one, I don't see it as being in kind of a game that people can make a living off of. For sure. And I don't think it has to be that either. I, yeah, I don't think so either. Um, I really think Keyforge is just a fun game to play. And I think just playing for the sake of trying to reach that highest level of competition, trying to bring a deck that you think is really good to its, its full potential um, is incentive enough, at least for me, to go out to our local events and then if we manage to, you know, accumulate chains and accumulate power levels and, and qualify for these higher level events, mm-hmm. um, that would be awesome. And I feel like that's more than enough to keep me um, invested in the game at yeah. this point. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with that 100%. Um, especially sealed tournaments. If uh, you haven't been to a sealed tournament yet and you're not sure, definitely go. Um, it's a lot of fun. So just as a last thought, we definitely want to give a huge shout out to Fantasy Flight Games and, and the team there for, uh, you know, putting out a great stream of content, live streams, and really, you know, being transparent and engaging the community. Um, you know, definitely doing that on a regular basis is super appreciated from us and I'm sure the community at large. Other than that, thanks everyone so much for kicking in with us for another episode of Discourse. Reach out to us online and let us know, do you think Keyforge Organized Play will will ever reach the same heights as something like Magic? And does it even need to? Also, as per usual, if you use social media, you can find us pretty much everywhere. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at DiscourseKF. That's going to do it for us this week. Until next time, dismissed. Dismissed.